Well, good morning. It's uh, nice to be back standing here uh, preaching a sermon among you. Uh, sometimes when a pastor has a bit of a break from preaching, either from vacation or, in my case, surgical repair upon my shoulder, uh, a sermon has a tendency of being a little bit long because we have a lot of words built up over a course of time. And I have, have no fear, though, this morning. I did write this sermon a good three weeks after I was under the influence of heavy narcotics. So I had somewhat of a clear mind. And I hope that we, still, I, we will get out before the Baptists. We'll be able to hit what used to be the Golden Corral in plenty of time. I see Dick over there. He's like, I'm holding you accountable. Well, this morning, uh, we did have a bit of a break for most of the seasons of Advent and Christmas, Uh, but this morning, we're going to return to our uh, sermon series on the work, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, our sermon series that we've been calling Phaseology. We've moved through the first movement, the second movement, and now we've been in the third movement, talking about that which the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. This morning, as you you may have picked up as we heard our scriptures read, this morning we're going to talk about baptism. What does baptism do? What is baptism? Why do we baptize? What difference does it make? Now this morning, as we take a look at the Holy Spirit and baptism, I really want to simply say basically one thing, and that is baptism is all about Jesus. All of the Holy Spirit's work is really about Jesus. It's all Christological. That is to say, the Holy Spirit works to focus our attention upon Christ. The Holy Spirit works to apply Christ to us. The Holy Spirit works to transform our lives into the image of Christ. All of the Holy Spirit's work is Christological, and baptism itself is focused on Christ. And so if we ask the question, why do we baptize? The answer is simple, because Jesus says to baptize. It's about Christ. If we ask the question, what is baptism? Well, it's a a sacrament of grace that signifies union with Christ, forgiveness from Christ, membership in Christ's body, the church, and reception of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ. And we ask ourselves the question, well, who is to receive baptism? Well, those who believe in Christ and those who are under their authority, the young and the infant children of believers in Christ. See, it's all about Jesus. That's why our big idea for this morning is baptism is commanded by Jesus and is a sacrament of God's grace. And if I had this to do over again, I would add two more words to that big idea. Baptism is commanded by Jesus and is a sacrament of God's grace in Jesus. Simply enough, the church practices the sacrament of baptism because it was commanded by the crucified and risen Lord. We heard read this morning from the end of St. Matthew's Gospel. Jesus came and he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before we get to that command, let's notice what book ends the command in the middle. First, there is a proclamation from Jesus himself about who he is. And then second, there is a promise about Jesus or a promise from Jesus. 
Let's notice what Jesus says about himself. The first thing he says to his disciples is this, all authority has been given to me. He has all authority in heaven and in earth, on earth. He is the crucified and risen Jesus. He is very soon to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He is, Jesus is the cosmic king. He is the absolute Lord of time and history. He has all authority. There is no authority that Jesus does not have. He has all authority. He's speaking here as the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet has a vision of one coming up before the Ancient of Days, who is God. This one coming up before the Ancient of Days is pure and white, and he's riding upon a cloud. And this one, the Son of Man, in Daniel chapter 7, receives from God, receives from the Ancient of Days, dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, at the end of Matthew, stands upon this mountain. He talks to his disciples as the one who has an everlasting dominion, as the one who has received from the hands of God, so to speak, glory and a kingdom, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David of Revelation chapter 5. And in that vision of John, we see that Jesus, uh, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, emerges into the throne room of heaven. And because of his triumph and conquest over universal and cosmic evil, he has the right, he has the authority to open the scroll of history. That's what it means for Jesus to have all authority. And I'm making a big deal about this because we have to realize that what Jesus says at the end of Matthew is not good advice from a wise teacher. It is not a suggestion from a trusted friend. It's not input from Siri about how to get someplace. No, it's not at all. What Jesus says at the end of Matthew is an order. It's a command from the mouth of the cosmic king, the ruler over all time and space. He is the true emperor of the galaxies. All authority. So it begins with Jesus proclaiming all authority. He has the right, the privilege, the power to give a command. It bookends with the promise of his presence. Let's notice this about Jesus before we get to the command itself. The last thing that Jesus says in Matthew's gospel is this. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this cosmic king, this emperor of the universe, this universal lord of all time and space, he has the authority to command, but he also promises his presence. He's commanded those to go and do. He promises his presence to those he's commanded for the accomplishment of that which he's given. That's an amazing truth. The bookends are important. Who Jesus is, what Jesus promises, and in the middle there is what Jesus commands. And let's look at that. Let's look at this great commission as what we call these last few verses of Matthew chapter 28. The command, the imperative verb, The command itself is simply this, make disciples. Perhaps better understood, we should read it as, while going, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. 
And its barest meaning, the command is to those who believe and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the cosmic king, to live and actively work in such a way that others who do not trust in Jesus come to trust and believe in the crucified and risen Christ as Savior, as Lord. The command really is just this, for Jesus' followers to reproduce. As part of this command, Jesus mentions three things, going, baptizing, and teaching. While going about your day, going into other communities, while going to work, while going across the ocean into foreign lands, while going, take the gospel with you. And when people come and they hear, baptize and teach. Make disciples. But what does baptism do? We we baptize because Jesus says to do it as part of our disciple making, but what does it do? This leads us a little bit into what we would call a sacramental theology. Because baptism, like the Lord's Supper, is what we call, in our Anglican tradition, a sacrament. It is a physical and visible sign of an invisible and spiritual grace. So the water of baptism is a physical sign. You can touch it. You can taste it. You can feel it on your skin. In my neighborhood, you can smell the water. (laughs) It's a physical and visible sign of an invisible but no less real spiritual grace. Let me see if I can help you understand this. A a sacrament signifies something, right? And I'll admit that this is a ham-handed illustration. I think it is appropriate. It may not be the greatest in the world, but it is the end of college football season, and I think it's helpful. So we're talking about a, a sacrament symbolizing or signifying a reality beyond itself, right? And And uh, think about a scoreboard at the end of a football game. For example, my beloved Oklahoma State Cowboys lost to Jimbo Fisher's Texas A&M Aggies. I was expecting a boo and a hiss for Jimbo Fisher. I see Karen back there just nodding. Yes. They lost to the academy in the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. At the end of the game, the scoreboard read 24 to 21, and it signified. The touchdowns, it signified the field goals, but the thing that it signified was not the same. It was not those things. It truly represented what happened. It truly showed what the teams had done, but it remained, the scoreboard remains a sign and not the things themselves. Maybe that helps us understand. Maybe it doesn't, but but baptism is a multifaceted sign of God's grace, of what he does for his people in Jesus. Baptism is not about us and about what we do. No, like the Lord's Supper, baptism is about what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. And so baptism is a sacrament, a physical and visible sign of a spiritual and invisible grace, God's grace in Jesus. All these things that are signified by the sign of baptism are appropriated. They're received by the individual through faith. And so what does baptism do? What does it signify? What does it show us? Well, first, baptism signifies the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. After his sermon on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, Doug read for us that this morning, St. Peter was asked, what shall we do? And Peter's response begins at verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. 
And so the baptism by water signifies the cleansing of the stain of sin in the blood of Jesus, the cleansing that comes by grace through faith in Christ. It's a sign of God's grace in Jesus. Baptism signifies union with Christ, especially his death and his resurrection, as we read in Romans chapter 6. St. Paul comments, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism signifies our union with Christ in his death and his resurrection, and thus it signifies new and true life found in him. I'm sure that you've, like me, have heard over the last few days that there's a new year, and so there can be a new you, right? New year, new me. What a bunch of hippy-dippy baloney. <laughs> there ain't nothing about the turning of a calendar page is going to make you new. Only Jesus is going to make you new. Amen. And baptism is the thing that signifies this newness of life that comes by grace through faith in Christ. Baptism signifies the reception of of the Holy Spirit. St. Peter connected baptism with the reception of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus would baptize with what? Water and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism signifies this divine gift of the Holy Spirit. Well-loved Anglican pastor John Stott puts it this way, that water baptism dramatizes the outpouring of the Spirit by which we receive the baptism of the Spirit physical and visible sign of a spiritual and invisible grace in Jesus Christ. Baptism signifies forgiveness of sins in Christ. It signifies union with Christ in his death, his resurrection, and, and in his new life that he gives us. Baptism signifies the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it signifies our being brought into the body of Christ, the church. In our baptismal liturgy, we quote words from Ephesians chapter 4. We say together, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have to hear the significance of this as we are baptized Baptism is a church sacrament. It's a public event that the whole body's involved in. It takes a church to baptize, and baptism is the sign of coming into the church, capital C, the universal and global church, through a church, lowercase c, a local church. And so baptism is all about us showing this signification, this signing of grace to be a part of Christ's body, engrafted into God's universal and global church. And then we have a choice. After receiving baptism, really what we're doing is one of two things. We're either living out of our baptismal vows in connection to the church or we're not. Bishop John Rogers says this, from the time of baptism on, baptized persons are either living out their baptism and membership in the church and the spirit, albeit never perfectly, or they are living as apostates in rejection of their baptism and membership in the church, whether by indifference or by conscious intention to depart the faith and the church. 
It takes a church to baptize because baptism signifies coming into the body. And folks, that's why we're having a single service next Sunday at 10 a.m. So all of our church that regularly gathers for worship can participate in welcoming six people into our body as they receive the baptism that signifies forgiveness, union with Christ, that signifies the gift of the Holy Spirit, that signifies ingrafting into the church. Baptism is one of the two gospel sacraments. It's a sacrament of grace in Jesus Christ. It signifies God's grace for the forgiveness of sins. It signifies union with Christ, the reception of the Holy Spirit, and ingrafting into the church. And this is where we must say that baptism is the sacrament that begins a lifelong journey with Christ. It's the beginning, not the end. It's not one more. It is the start of something. Baptism then serves as a pledge, a seal, a title to the grace that it signifies. So why do we baptize? Because Jesus said to. What does baptism do? It's all about Jesus and his grace, signifying that grace Who should be baptized? Who should receive this sacrament? Well, again, we turn to Scripture. The Bible is our authority in life and faith and practice and in being. And what do we see in Scripture? Who receives baptism in Scripture? In Scripture, there's two basic basic categories. Believers and those who are under their authority, namely their children. After Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, some 3,000 men and women were baptized. That is amazing. Clearly, in the context, these are new believers in Jesus. They're being baptized upon their profession of faith. In Acts chapter 8, after uh, the Ethiopian eunuch engages in conversation with Philip, he is baptized. But in Acts chapter 16, a woman named Lydia in Philippi believed in Jesus and was baptized, and the scripture tells us, along with her household. Also in that same chapter, the jailer in Philippi believed in Jesus, and there we read, he was baptized at once, he and his family. There are other verses in the New Testament that mention the baptism of a, quote, household. A household in the ancient world would have been something that would have included everyone in the house under the authority of the head. Spouses, children, parents, grandparents, and even domestic slaves. So when the, Philippi, the Philippian jailer was baptized, his wife was baptized. His children were baptized. When Lydia, the wealthy merchant, was baptized, her even domestic slaves would have been baptized. Why? Because God works through families. Because God works through the faith of parents and those in authority. Because baptism is a greater circumcision. To understand that, we have to look in the pages of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham received the uh, covenant sign of circumcision. All the way back in chapter 12 of Genesis, God promised things to Abram, and Abraham believed him. In Genesis chapter 15, God promised things to Abraham, and Abraham believed him, and the scripture tells us God accounted him as righteous because of his faith. And then in Genesis chapter 17, God gives to Abraham what is called the covenant sign of circumcision. God had already counted him as a righteous because he believed God and his promises, but he gave him this sign, this seal, this pledge, this physical sign of an invisible grace, this circumcision. So Abraham circumcised his household. He instituted the divinely ordained rite of circumcision as God indicated for the sign of the covenant entitled to God's promises upon male children eight days old. 
brought into the covenant community, given the privilege of belonging to God's people, bearing the mark of the covenant, these children were then raised to believe in God, to take possession of God's promises by their faith. What we see then is in the new covenant, the greater covenant of Christ, baptism is the greater circumcision, the greater sign of the greater covenant, the new covenant of Christ's blood. Scott McKnight, in his book, It Takes a Church to Baptize, calls this a liturgical or sacramental approach to conversion. When we baptize a child, we baptize an infant, what we're doing is we're bringing them into the covenant community under the grace of Christ, and we're raising them up into that faith that they too may believe. McKnight writes that conversion occurs most often during the first two decades of a person's life as that person is what? Baptized, catechized, and confirmed. It's the way baptism works. It's the way God works through families. And none of this takes away from a baptized person's need, responsibility to come to faith in Jesus. But it creates a context in which coming to faith in Jesus is a natural extension of life inside the covenant under the grace of Christ. In our own Anglican Articles of Religion, our doctrine is stated, the baptism of young children is in any wise to be retained in the church as most agreeable with the institution of Christ. You don't have to work real hard to find in the Gospels the simple fact that Jesus loves and welcomes kids. He desires them to come to him. He desires children to know him, to trust him. And God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they work through families. They work through churches as God works through his sacraments to give grace. It's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've seen that we baptize because Jesus commands it. We've seen that baptism is a sacrament of God's grace. It signifies various aspects of God's grace. We've seen that those who believe in Jesus are to be baptized along with their kids. And the difference that it makes, is there a difference? Or is it just something that we do, just getting a little moist on a Sunday morning? Well, of course... Me being me, you know I'm going to say that it makes all the difference in the world. I'd really like to focus this morning on three differences that baptism makes for us. The first thing that baptism does, we have to recognize this, is that it marks us out as Christ's own. And first, as the article of baptism states, baptism is not only a sign of profession and mark of difference. It calls it a mark of difference whereby Christian men are discerned from others that be not christened. Baptism is an act of cosmic politics in which we receive grace from God and declare to the world that we belong to the cosmic king Christ and that we are royal subjects of his kingdom. Baptism, as we are engrafted into the kingdom, as it is a sign of union with Christ, we are declaring to ourselves, to one another, to the world, as a baptized person, I belong fundamentally to Jesus, to his kingdom. Folks, this is an issue fundamentally of identity. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a registered voter, before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a homeowner, before I'm a taxpayer, before I'm a long-suffering Oklahoma State Cowboy fan, I am a subject of the cosmic and universal king. I belong to Jesus before anything else. 
Because I've been baptized into his body, come into his church, received grace by faith. That makes all the difference in the world. At least it should. Second, all those who are baptized receive the pledge, the promise, the title to the grace signified. This grace that is signified, the forgiveness of sin in Christ, union with Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, life in the church, these are all benefits made available to be received by faith. And so baptism, we use really strong language in our baptismal vows, in our baptismal liturgy. We use language of completion. Even as we sprinkle water or pour water upon the head of an infant, we use language of completion. We do this in anticipation that God will do what God has promised to do as he brings those he has called and elected to faith in him. We do our part. We baptize. And those that we have baptized, we teach as we seek to make disciples of all nations and all ages, trusting that he who has commanded is indeed present with us and doing what only he can do as we do what he's given us to do. And so we have in baptism title to grace by faith. Third, the difference that it makes is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We do all of this in recognition that the work of the Holy Spirit is abundant and present to us. The sacraments are used by God to work in our lives by the power and the presence of the Spirit. We ask the Lord as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We will here in a few minutes. We will ask for the Lord to sanctify the bread and the wine by His Word and by His Spirit. Next Sunday, as we prepare to baptize six people a couple of little ones, a couple of middle ones, and a couple of bigger ones, we're going to ask that that water be sanctified by the Spirit. And I think it's accurate for us to say that we cannot be truly sacramental unless we are charismatic, looking for the ways the Spirit is at work in the sacrament, taking this thing which is physical and visible as a sign of spiritual and invisible grace. It's just as accurate to say that we will not receive the graces signified in the sacrament of baptism without the Holy Spirit being at work in us and in our children. No one ever comes to faith without the Spirit, and no one will continue the journey begun at baptism, no matter what age they received it, without the ongoing work of the Spirit. <coughs> baptism is hugely important. It changes us in our cosmic politics. It brings to bear upon us the promise, the title to the grace that is signified that we receive by faith. And it's all in the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we take it really seriously here at Emmanuel. This is why we ask folks who desire baptism to spend time and study with us and to understand it as best as possible before receiving it. We baptize because Jesus commanded it as a part of disciple-making. Baptism is a sacrament of grace that signifies union with Christ, forgiveness of sins in Christ, membership in the church, Christ's body, and the reception of the Holy Spirit, Christ's gift. We baptize believers in Jesus upon their faith, and we baptize infants and young children of those who believe in Jesus. Baptism marks us out cosmically, politically. It gives us title to the things signified, real and anticipatory, and it is life in the Spirit. And all of this is for our good. But more fundamentally, all of this is for the glory of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've said all these things to you in his name. Amen. Yeah. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and we give you thanks for baptism.
We praise you and we give you thanks that you don't leave us to ourselves, but rather you promise grace to us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would live out our baptismal vows in faith. Holy Spirit, come and stir up in us, strengthen our faith. That we would be your people, marked out as different, receiving grace and forgiveness, union with Christ, membership in the church. And that in your presence, O Lord, we would be people going about the business of making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that Jesus has taught us to obey. Come and be at work and magnify Jesus through us. May he be glorified by us, and may your kingdom grow in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord through song.